Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom in the American way. And it's just incredible what has happened over the weekend. First of all, you know, Michael Cohen's book is out. There's a whole bunch of big books coming out. The story that we just touched on last week really blew up about Donald Trump basically saying that people who volunteer for military service are suckers. And if they get caught, captured or killed while in war... They are losers. And I tweeted out a picture of my dad uh, in 1944 when he was going through basic training. He volunteered, you know, to go fight fascists. He was an anti-fascist. He was Antifa. I tweeted out a picture of him, although the war ended while he was in basic training. But nonetheless, I tweeted it out with a caption that said, my dad was not a sucker when he volunteered for World War II in 1944, although I think maybe it was 45, but whatever. So... Here we have, I mean, a president who is just basically nakedly anti-military. I don't know how you can say that, you know, any better. You know, over the weekend also, uh, Donald Trump got an endorsement and Joe Biden got an endorsement. Donald Trump, his endorsement came from Osama bin Laden's niece, the guy who flew the planes into New York City and crashed in the buildings. Joe Biden got an endorsement from Sully Sullenberger, the guy who successfully landed a plane on the Hudson River. Kind of a contrast there, right? Kind of a contrast. But when you go through the things that Donald Trump has done, you know, that have to do with the military, it's really pretty extraordinary what he has done, what he has said, and how he's trashed our military throughout the years. There's just this uh, remarkable list that was posted on Facebook, and it's I've seen it in a half a dozen places over the internet over the weekend. I'm not sure who compiled it. But yeah, it's a pretty good summary. Back in May of this year, do you remember this? I mean, it was like a one-day story. I thought it was mind-boggling. Trump had deployed a bunch of National Guard folks, and I think they might have been down to do the wall. I don't recall the specifics of the deployment. It might have been for an emergency, but I think it had to do with the wall. But in any case, this was in May of this year. And he ended their deployment one day early so they couldn't claim benefits. Remember that? Remember when Jared Kushner, they had finally found five million masks? This was back in April, May. They had finally found five million masks for the Veterans Administration hospitals, where you've got a lot of people who are at risk including the healthcare workers. I mean, we've had over a thousand healthcare workers die in this country, doctors, nurses, you know, for frontline responders. And five million masks intended for VA hospitals. And Jared Kushner intercepted that shipment and sold it to private wholesalers for which he apparently got a commission, whether that commission went to the U.S. government or into Jared Kushner's pocket. I don't think anybody knows for sure right now. Remember when Trump fired the captain of the USS Theodore Roosevelt because the guy notified his crew that COVID was running around on the ship and that they needed to do something about it? 
Remember after uh, Trump, you know, he's been bragging in his ads and on TV and in his uh, rallies and things that he killed the most, the most awful terrorist in the world. The guy was a general in the Iranian army. And yes, he had supervised some of the, you know, some, some really bad stuff around the world. But uh, here was a guy who was a general in the Iranian army. And, and Trump basically said, uh, let's, let's kill this guy with a strike. And they did. And Iran retaliated for that. And 109 of our troops were hit. You know, their bunkers were hit and they suffered traumatic brain injury. 109 people were diagnosed by doctors, 109 veterans, 109 active duty soldiers in Iraq were diagnosed with traumatic brain injury. And Trump said, oh, those are just headaches. Remember that? Remember on July 20th in 2017, when he told a room full of military people that they were babies and crybabies? Remember the, all the military criminals, people convicted of war crimes that Trump pardoned. You know, and this is just the beginning. I could spend 45 minutes. You know, he, he had Marla Maples sign a prenup that would have cut off all child support to Tiffany if she joined the military. Seriously, he denied a U.S. Marine who had been in the Marines for six years entry into the United States for his citizenship review. He ordered the Navy to rescind medals to prosecutors who prosecuted war criminals. This was last year, July 31st. Children of deployed U.S. troops are no longer guaranteed citizenship. This includes U.S. troops posted abroad for years at a time. So what do you think is Trump's end game? I guess that's my question for the day. What is Trump's end game? What's going on here? What is he, what is he trying to do? Umer Hake wrote an extraordinary piece over at uh, EAND.com suggesting that what Trump really wants to do, what's really going on here, the reason why he's denigrating our institutions, why he's trashing our people, the bottom line reason why he's doing all this stuff is because he thinks that he can steal the entire country's wealth. Now, I can imagine right now your head kind of exploding as you contemplate what I'm suggesting. But let me just dig into this. What Umer is pointing out is that if you look at essentially right-wing fascistic dictatorships around the world, you look at these countries that have been taken over by strong men. Look at Hungary. Look at Russia. Look at you know, Venezuela, if you want to see one on the left. Most of the Stan countries in the Middle East, you know, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, you look at countries that have been taken over by dictators and what happens or strongman governments. And what happens is they basically steal the wealth of the entire country. You know, if Donald Trump gives Louis DeJoy the post office, Louis DeJoy becomes a billionaire. He gets to be an oligarch. I mean, this is how it works in these countries. The capo de capo, the main criminal guy, starts giving away pieces of the government, privatizing them, and giving them to his buddies. They become fabulously rich, and they channel part of those riches, part of that money, back to Mr. Strongman so that he can stay in office and stay in power and further their profits. Now, in a small way, in the old-fashioned Republican way, Trump has been doing this for four years. You know, putting an oil lobbyist in charge of the Department of Interior, and then the Department of Interior is selling off our public lands. Putting a coal lobbyist in charge of the Environmental Protection Agency, and the EPA backs away from any kind of, you know, meaningful enforcement. But those are just the small steps. We'll continue this conversation after the break. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. You can help America return to democracy by telling friends and family how to listen to this and other great progressive programs. Tag your it. Right. 
Ronnie in New Berlin, Wisconsin. Hey, Ronnie, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching us on YouTube. So Trump is frantically saying, I didn't say those things about the military. I didn't say them. They're all liars. And yesterday I posted on one of my right-wing friends' page. She had said, you know, posted pictures of him saluting the military at Dover when the coffins come home and whatnot. And her comment was, he shows a lot of respect, you know, more than any other president. So I posted a picture that has a bunch of generals and commanders and all the things that he said about each one, you know, losers and babies, doesn't know how to win, you know, all the disparaging things. And the right-wing friends said, I'm glad he said it. He's finally saying what we all feel about the military. He's right. I know these guys. They're all terrible. And I'm like, okay, so you guys are admitting he says this. And Trump is saying he didn't say this. How do you square those two things together? It is so pathetic. The hypocrisy on the right just makes me want to vomit on a daily basis. Ugh. Well, what it's, what it's turned into, Ronnie, is tribalism. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like family. I mean, you know, if, if somebody attacks somebody in my family, even if I know that that person did something wrong, I'm going to defend them, uh, you know, within reason. And what Trump has succeeded in doing by using emotion rather than reason, and this has always been his principal thing. He, he doesn't go to reason. He doesn't go to logic. He doesn't go to, here's the plan, here are the steps, here's the flow chart. He never talks about any of that stuff, which is the normal stuff of governance. Instead, he does the stuff that dictators, tin pot dictators and strongman and autocrats do, and that is he appeals to emotion. Be afraid. They're coming to get you. You know, they don't like you. They're up to something. I mean, you know, blotty, blotty, by. This is the kind of stuff that Donald Trump has been campaigning on, and it's the kind of stuff that creates a cult, essentially. And, and I think that that's what you're up against, Ronnie. You're dealing with cult members. Yeah, definitely. And they seriously don't listen to any reason. It, it just floors me. If I could, one more thing. I am sure. I'm hopeful that Biden's going to win, but I am afraid that if he does win, Trump will not shut up. He will be tweeting Every single day, he will be, you know, Biden should do this, Biden should do that. That's not the decision I would have made. And we'll never get any healing. I mean, he's not going to shut up if he loses. And that is really frightening that he could undercut a Biden presidency. So I wanted to get that out there. Yeah, you know, that's definitely going to happen, Ronnie. I mean, I think we can count on that. The question is, will it be covered by anybody? Is it is it just going to be that he's shouting into the void, you know, basically on Twitter? Or is, you know, the damn corporate media going to keep amplifying his message like Les Moonves celebrated, you know, at CBS back in 2016? It may be bad for the country, but keep doing it, Donald. It's great for CBS. Ronnie, thanks a lot for the call. And thanks for watching us on yep. YouTube. So every week we do a special video. It's available over at TomHartman.com. And I'm talking about the relationship between Donald Trump and Fox News. Trump's liberate these states with Democratic governors tweets, which seem to be actually calling for like armed revolt or asking, you know, his crazy followers to, you know, let's send some pipe bombs or something like one already has to Democrats. He did that two minutes after watching a Fox News segment basically saying the same thing. Fox News is programming the brain of the president, and their programming was, you know, basically developed by Roger Ailes to infuriate people. You know, this outrage as a way of holding people so that they can sell advertising. Over at TomHartman.com, check it out. Thanks so much. So, as I was sharing with you, Omer Hake. I mean, this is almost unthinkable. This is the boundary that I don't think Americans have been willing to push, at least in our coverage, certainly not in the media. I think a lot of our politicians were all looking at this saying, you know, really? Can it go that far? Is that what's really going on here? There's a couple of narratives about who Donald Trump is and what he's trying to do and why he's trying to do it. And, you know, one of the principal narratives is that you know, he's struggling to maintain his presidency because he's making money off the presidency. 
He's, you know, he's got people staying at his Trump hotel in Washington, D.C. If they, if you want to visit Trump in the White House, you have to stay in his hotel. I mean, it, it's not a written rule, but it's everybody gets it. And the rooms in the hotel, I mean, whenever something like that happens, they jack the price up from 400 to 1000 bucks a night or in that neighborhood. Their ballrooms and things, they raise the prices when the government is paying for things. Trump, you know, redirects airplanes and to Scotland when they're on their way to the Middle East to refill so that they, their service members can stay overnight in Trump hotels. I mean, he's figured out a way to profit off the presidency, as have all of his grifter kids. The entire Trump crime family is making big bucks off the presidency. And a good chunk of that, by the way, is several of the super PACs that I'm getting emails from almost every day begging me for money on behalf of Trump. And I don't believe for a minute that that money is going into any kind of election campaigning. I think it's going into Trump and his buddies' pockets. So there's that narrative that he's hanging on to power because it means he can continue to make yeah, maybe a couple hundred million bucks a year, you know, here and there by exploiting the presidency. And that narrative makes sense. It's easy. Then there's the second narrative. And that second narrative is that what he's trying to do is avoid going to jail. That Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, is coming after him. Cy Vance, who I believe is the DA in New York City, is coming after him. You know, the district attorney for tax fraud and for other crimes. Michael Cohen is out now. Cohen actually went to jail for committing a crime, a tax and election crime, on behalf of Donald Trump. He paid off Stormy Daniels. That's what he's in jail for, or was in jail. He's out on furlough right now because of COVID. But Michael Cohen went to jail because he committed a crime on behalf of Donald Trump in New York State. So New York is coming after him. So the second narrative is that Trump is getting so desperate and so freaked out that he's willing to actually encourage people to kill each other in the United States right now because he doesn't want to go to jail and he doesn't want his kids to go to jail because that's all going to be the logical consequence of his losing the election. So that's the second narrative. The third narrative, the one that no one's touching, I think may actually be the real narrative. It might be the reason why Bill Barr is willing to sacrifice his reputation for all of posterity, why Louis DeJoy is in there taking crap as Postmaster General. I mean, this might be the reason why almost everything that is going on is going on why Trump has put lobbyists in charge of virtually every federal agency. I mean, even Mark Esper, the guy who's running the Pentagon, used to be a lobbyist for Raytheon. Every single federal agency has now, well, arguably, maybe there's one or two that don't, but to the best of my knowledge, every consequential federal agency is now being run by somebody whose principal goal or interest is to profit from that agency. I think the one exception you could make is the Department of Education, because Betsy DeVos is a billionaire with 10 mega yachts. But, you know, she's got an ideology, which is destroy public schools and replace them with for-profit charter schools. And her family trust is invested in these charter schools. So, you know, okay, she's in on it too. It's not just ideology. And as Omer Hake points out, How much is the American economy worth? $20 trillion. Now, Trump claims he's a billionaire. He's probably actually deeply in debt. We don't know. know, Hopefully soon we'll be getting the paperwork from Deutsche Bank. But no matter what, he thinks that he can steal the entire country's wealth. Oh, my. What a day, huh? Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Hi, Tom. When you first talked about a civil war, I thought that was crazy, but now I agree. I think that Trump's trying to incite a civil war between blue and red states. And I want to say I loved on one of your shows when you said we can't have a war if nobody shows up. And I think Portland should paint that in the street and not show up. And then Trump's occupied force and the booger boys be there. Yeah, it was a line from an old country Joe and the fish song 
what if they gave a war and no one showed up? It was a rhetorical question, but I think it's a brilliant question. And uh, yeah, I, I, my, my preference would be, well, you know, I think people showing up in the streets and people protesting is a good and healthy thing. But when, when people start lighting stuff on fire, they lose me. I, I don't know how to say it beyond that, but, you know, spot on. Thanks a lot for the call, Jessica. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, what's up? Hey, Tom. Uh, thanks for the call here. I uh, want to just kind of uh, share with you and actually your listeners kind of a permit to remember as we approach November. There are a lot of sort of historical things that older and then also contemporary that we might remember. And I sadly, at the moment, I have it 50-50 Biden-Trump. I just would like the left, those who are activists, to remember the big picture is that Bill Bennett and Reagan's undermining of public education is really, really working well. So we have to deal with that. And then don't get too gloated yeah, about they ended. They uh, basically ended civics education across the country. It's mind boggling. Yes, it was exactly. communist, you know. Yes, Tom, I, I agree with you. But what the warning flags for me that I'm fighting against every, you know, all every week and everything I bring to you is anecdotal. I still work the streets a lot. Just remember that the approval of Congress is very, very low. That wind is against us. Also, please remember that most people start to pay attention, not not on your show in progressive circles, but most citizens start to pay attention in October. And then also coupled with that is, yeah, and most citizens also vote emotions. And in this case, and you have Donald Trump exactly pigeonholed. You have his tactics and his personality completely correct now, okay? And so most people and citizens vote emotions of fear. So this is a good conversation that we can have with other people. The bigger thing is it's still don't deny the fact that it's still quite a racist and a misogynist country. I'm in the streets with, with uh, pro-women signs, and I, I get more rejection from that than you would, would want. The other thing is that Democrats are generally good at governing, but they're not really good at winning elections, and the Republicans are the opposite. So we have to stand up. Republicans are great at winning and stealing elections, and they're very good at governing just for the few. And then finally, I just, I must say, do not, do not ignore the down-ballot issues here. This is so big, and actually that's what the Trojan Horse Project is all about. It's, it's down-ballot. And finally, the solution is women getting to the polls. So, yeah, I'm with you, Robin. Well, on those down-ballot races, I wish there were more uh, ballot initiatives and things like that on marijuana legalization, bringing young people out. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital.
That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're reading today from the Tom Hartman Reader here at Tom Hartman University. This is from page 13. The title is The Story of Carl. Carl loved books and he loved history. After spending two years in the Army as part of the American Occupation Forces in Japan immediately after World War II, Carl was hoping to graduate from college and teach history, perhaps even at the university level, if he could just hang on to the GI Bill and his day job long enough to get his Ph.D. But in 1950, when he'd been married just a few months, the surprise came that forced him to drop out of college. His wife was pregnant with their first child. This was an era when husbands worked, wives tended the home, and being a good father and provider was one of the highest callings to which a man could aspire. Carl dropped out of school, kept his 9-to-5 job at a camera shop, got a second job at a metal fabricating plant, working with molten metal from 7 p.m. to 4 a.m. For much of his wife's pregnancy and his newborn son's first year, he slept three hours a night and caught up on the weekends. But in the process, he earned enough to get them an apartment and prepare for the cost of raising a family. Over the next 45 years, he continued to work in the steel and machine industry. In the later years, as a bookkeeper manager for a Michigan tool and die company, as three more sons were born. Carl knew he was doing the right thing when he took that job in the factory, and he did it enthusiastically. Because the auto industry was unionized, he found he was able to support his entire family, all four sons, on one paycheck. He had a fully funded health insurance program, an annual vacation, and a good pension waiting for him when he retired. Carl had become a member of the middle class. He may not have achieved his personal dream of teaching history, but he had achieved the American dream. He was self-sufficient and free. Working with molten metal can be dangerous, but the dangers were apparent, and Carl took every protection to protect himself. What he didn't realize, however, was that the asbestos used at the casting operation was an insidious poison. He didn't realize that the asbestos industry had known for decades that the stuff could kill, but would continue to profitably market it for another 20 years while actively using its financial muscle to keep the general public in the dark and prevent the government from interfering. A couple of years ago, Carl tripped on the stairs and ended up in the hospital with a compression fracture of his spine. He figured that fall had also caused the terrible pain he'd been experiencing in his abdomen and his chest. Doctors, however, discovered that his lungs were filled with mesothelioma, a rare form of lung cancer that is almost always caused by exposure to asbestos. Mesothelioma is terminal, and its victims die by a slow and painful suffocation. Just because some corporation put profit before people. Carl got screwed. I was Carl's first child. My dad faced a painful death, but at least his job in a union shop left him with health care after retirement. <clears throat> Most Americans don't even have that reassurance anymore. More than 45 million Americans don't have health insurance to cover expenses for a serious illness. And 5 million lost their health insurance between 2001 and 2005, which is when I wrote this. And it's not just illness that worries most Americans today. Americans are working more and making less. 
getting harder and harder to just get by. There's a reason for the pain Americans are suffering. The America my dad grew up in put people or profits. The America we live in now puts profits above people. In my dad's America, 35% of working people were union members who got a living wage, health insurance, and defined benefit pensions. These union benefits lifted all boats because they set the floor for employment. For every union job, there was typically a non-union job with similar pay and benefits, meaning roughly 70% of the American workforce back then could raise a family on a single paycheck. People who were disabled and couldn't work could live on Social Security payments, and the elderly knew that they would have a safe retirement paid for by pensions, Social Security, and Medicare. The gap between the richest and the poorest had shrunk rather than widened. That America is disappearing fast. The minimum wage is not a living wage. Workers are now expected to pay for their own health insurance and their own retirement. Pension plans are disappearing. 30,000 General Motors employees lost theirs just in 2005, and there's continued talk about privatizing Social Security, the Republicans' grand goal. The safety net is ripping apart, and the results are that the middle class is shrinking. The rich are once again getting richer, and the poor are getting poorer. The inflation-adjusted average annual pay of a CEO went up from $7.7 million to $9.6 million just between 2002 and 2004. Meanwhile, from 2002 to 2004, the inflation-adjusted median annual household income went down from $46,058 to $44,300. In other words, ordinary people's income went down by $1,600, while CEO pay went up by $1.8 million a year. From the Tom Hartman Reader, the story of Carl. And Tom Harmon here with you and uh, Adam in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Adam, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hey, Tom. Hey, doing? Thanks for taking my call. I was just thinking there seems to be this resistance toward doing anything about election tampering from foreign governments. And I'm wondering, you know, now that it's really come out more clearly that we have Iran and China, not just Russia, doing that. And it seems to me that both Iran and China would probably prefer a Biden administration over a Trump administration. Adam, let me just stop you right there. Iran and China are not interfering in our elections. If you look at both the Senate Intelligence Committee report, which was signed off on by all the Republicans on the committee, a committee led by a Republican, it explicitly says that the Iranians and the Chinese are not involving themselves in our elections. The Russians are involving themselves in our elections. Adam, the story that you're telling is coming from Donald Trump. When the intelligence committee and his intelligence agencies issued this, you know, released this about a month ago, and they came right out and they said, Russia is actively engaged in involving itself in our elections. Iran and China are not doing anything. Trump turned that around. And I'm assuming that you're trying to turn that around, Adam, to say, oh, it's apples versus apples. And it's not apples versus apples, Adam. It is, you've got basically one country aggressively supporting Trump doing so. In fact, the report just came out. Seven and a half million Michigan voters found on the server of a Russian hacker. Seven and a half million Michigan voters. The Chinese and the Iranians they are not involved in this. And whether they want Biden or Trump is pretty much irrelevant at this point. There's a lot of countries around the world. Germany would probably rather have Biden. England would probably, well, God only knows about England, but at least at the level of Boris Johnson. But I mean, pick your country. But there's really, as far as we can tell, there is one country that's actively engaged in this election tampering, and that's Russia. And if you read Seth Abramson's work, There are a couple of other countries that have historically been involved in tampering with our elections, and they also support Donald Trump, and that's Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, along with some billionaires in Israel. I mean, you know, Seth Abramson lays it all out in his book, Proof of Conspiracy. So this story that that caller was just trying to sell to us, that, oh, well, you know, Russia is supporting Trump and Iran and China with two countries, not just one, are supporting Biden, is a lie. It is fundamentally, simply, purely a lie. 
And it's a lie that's being promoted by Trump. It's a lie that's being promoted on Fox News. It's a lie that's being promoted on right wing talk radio. Go back and read. And, and this is this is why it's so hard to knock down these lies. In order to knock down a lie like this, you've actually got to do a little bit of homework. And that's what the liars are counting on. They're counting on suckers like our previous caller or shills like our previous caller. But I'm, I'm assuming that he's just a sucker listening to right wing hate radio or watching Fox News or listening to Donald Trump, for that matter, who lies on average 15 to 20 times a day. They're counting on people listening to those lies and, th- and thinking, oh, well, that must be what's what's so Re- because, you know, the average American is not going to go read, you know, a, a, a giant report from the Senate Intel Committee, although it's pretty damn shocking reading. I'm telling you. So anyhow, that's the bottom line. End of rant. Sandra in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Sandra, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Hi. Well, these comments that Trump had made about these thugs, the first image that came Mm. to my mind wasn't black people. It was his federal quote-unquote cops. Mm. Those were the thugs that I was thinking. The first thought came to mind. And I wonder, am I the only one that thought that? (laughs) I don't. When I hear the word thug coming out of Donald Trump's mouth or out of his tweet, I, I know that he's talking about black people. I mean, you know, yeah, but been, I mean, we've been watching the, the that first image, for the years. very first image was those people dressed in black. Yeah. Um, you know, just trying to stir people up like they got that. You know, they got they got 50 people here in, in this little town in Oregon back a few months ago, you know, out on the streets with their guns waiting for the Antifa thugs to show up in a yeah. bus. And, and of yeah. course, they, you know, nobody was even, I mean, first of all, there is no Antifa. It's a, you are anti-fascist yeah. or you are pro-fascist. You know, there's no address that you can send a letter to Antifa to. Yeah. And, and, sec- and secondly, I mean, this, is, this is just a boogeyman that's been built on Fox News and right wing hate radio. It's, it's mind boggling. Yeah. But Sandra, I get, I, okay. you know, I get what you're saying. And go yeah. ahead. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Come Veterans Day, yeah. I hope that they, when they decorate their ancestors' graves that fought in all the wars, that they'd uh, remember that they were Antifa also. So Exactly. Yeah, they, you, you, know, know. Uh, you know, my dad was an anti-fascist. He volunteered to fight against the Germans and the Japanese. Sandra, thank you for the call. Deborah in Columbia, Tennessee. Hey, Deborah, thank you for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, actually, staying on point. For me, the first thing I thought of, you know, Trump speaks truth out loud, but usually with a twist. He flip-flops things. And when he was accusing these thugs or BLM of, of getting into planes dressed in black, it occurred to me that it might be a militia that's been put together by Eric Prince, you know, boarding plant, mm-hmm. planes and sent to racially charged areas. Eric Prince is, has, um, as we know, is tied strongly with Trump and his campaign. He has donated millions of dollars. And I've had a fear in the back of my mind that he has a private army that he has been training and putting together to send out into the U.S., you know, especially if he wins in 2020. So I just wanted to know your thought on this, and could this possibly be, you know, little pieces of Eric Prince being tied to I think it, I think it could be, Deborah. I think it could be. And if they're developing a uh, secret army or uh, an armed, armed militia in addition to the ones that we know about, then that could be, that, I mean, that might even be Donald Trump's October surprise. Nothing would surprise me at this point. Uh, Deborah, thank you for the call. Spot on. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. 
Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Proof of Conspiracy, How Trump's International Collusion is Threatening American Democracy by Seth Abramson. This is from the introduction. In late 2015, after Donald Trump has formally announced his candidacy for president, a geopolitical conspiracy emerges overseas whose key participants are the leaders of Russia, Israel, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Egypt. These six men decide that Trump is the antidote to their ills. For Russia, U.S. sanctions. For Israel, the lack of Arab allies. For Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Egypt perceive threats emanating from Iran. The conspirators commit themselves to doing whatever is necessary to ensure that Donald Trump is elected. Trump's presidential campaign is aware of and benefits from this conspiracy both before and after the 2016 election. On March 19, 2018, British journalist David Hearst, the former chief foreign leader writer for The Guardian, publishes the most important report of his career. Hearst, at one time the Moscow bureau chief at The Guardian, is now editor-in-chief of his own publishing venture, a London-based Middle East watchdog called The Middle East Eye. In the spring of 2018, he reports the existence of a years-long, continent-spanning conspiracy that will eventually envelop the President of the United States, the Red Sea Conspiracy. This book denominates the conspiracy Hearst uncovers as the Red Sea Conspiracy for the simple reason that it is hatched on a yacht in the middle of the Red Sea, a seawater inlet of the Indian Ocean bordered by, among other countries, Saudi Arabia and Egypt. One imagines that in his many years as a correspondent and commentator for the Scotsman, the Huffington Post, Al Jazeera, El Arabi, El Jaid, TRT World, which is Turkish, Masr Al Agan, Egypt, and The Guardian, Hearst never thought he'd stumble on a story as far-reaching in its implications as the Red Sea Conspiracy. But he did, and what he found could change the course of history. This book chronicles the events around the globe that preceded and followed the fall 2015 origin of the conspiracy, with a special focus on how the conspiracy prompted Donald Trump and his aides, allies, and associates to covertly collude with six countries, both before and after the 2016 presidential election. Russia, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Israel, Bahrain, and Egypt. 
Events that began on the Red Sea in 2015 now influence President Trump's foreign policy toward all of these countries, toward other countries not involved in the conspiracy, such as Qatar and Iran, and more broadly toward Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. The story of the Red Sea conspiracy begins with a man named George Nader. As reported by Hearst in the Middle East Eye, toward the end of 2015, Nader, then an advisor to the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nayan, known as MBZ, convened with his patron's permission a summit of some of the Middle East's most powerful leaders. Gathered on a boat in the Red Sea in the fall of 2015 were Mohammed bin Salman, known as MBS, Deputy Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, who would shortly become the heir apparent to the throne of the Saudi Kingdom. MZB himself, by 2015, the de facto ruler of the United Arab Emirates. Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, the president of Egypt. Prince Salman bin Hamad, the crown prince of Bahrain. And King Abdullah II of Jordan. Nader, the improbable maestro of these rulers' clandestine get-together, intended the plan he posed to the men to include the nation of Libya, but no representative from that nation attended the gathering. Of the leaders aboard the yacht, two, MBS and MBZ, are already close. According to a New Yorker interview with Richard A. Clark, a counterterrorism advisor to Presidents Barack Obama and George W. Bush, MBS and MBZ, quote, talk on the phone all day to each other, end quote. The Red Sea meeting, although technically convened by Nader, is a means for MBZ to advance ambitions that he and MBS have designed together. The two sunny Arab leaders' intention, Hearst records, is to remake the Middle East with the covert assistance of a highly placed American politician. They intend to do this by first renaming and reconstituting the membership of the six-member Gulf Cooperation Council, the GCC, which in 2015 comprises Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, and Qatar, while reorienting to its regional ambitions and global alliances. The proposed GCC realignment would evict Kuwait, Oman, and Qatar from the Council and replace these three countries with Egypt, Jordan, and Libya, thereby eliminating the entity's historical association with the Persian Gulf and remaking it as, instead, an alliance constituting, quote, an elite regional group of six countries which would supplant the GCC and form the nucleus of a coalition of pro-U.S. and pro-Israeli states in the Middle East, end quote. According to two sources briefed on the 2015 Red Sea Summit, quote, Nader said this group of states could become a force in the region that the United States government could depend on to counter the influence of Turkey and Iran, end quote. Prior to 2015, Turkey and Saudi Arabia had intermittently enjoyed strong diplomatic ties. The book Proof of Conspiracy by Seth Abramson. The uh, Sturgis motorcycle rally, it turns out, is being linked to uh, over a quarter million cases of COVID. We know of one death so far, but this was an amazing study that the German-based IZA Institute of Labor Economics did based on anonymized cell phone data. Anybody can buy the data about, you know, who's where with their cell phones. And this is from these researchers, quote, the Sturgis motorcycle rally represents a situation where many of the worst case scenarios for super spreading occurred simultaneously. The event was prolonged. Individuals packed closely together, a large out of town population, low compliance with masks. The results are staggering. They're estimating $12 billion that you and I are going to pay in health care costs for these guys as a result of this. Meanwhile, Donald Trump keeps rolling along and continues to be unwilling to criticize Russia or Putin or anything, basically any autocrat in the world, but specifically that. And Seth Abramson has a new book coming out, Proof of Corruption, Bribery, Impeachment, and Pandemic in the Age of Trump. His previous books, Proof of Conspiracy and Proof of Collusion, he has dropped by our program to talk about. He put together a long Twitter thread, basically with the premise of, I believe, Proof of Corruption over the weekend. I thought it was spectacular. And he's on the line with us, Seth Abramson. The website is Seth Abramson, A-B-R-A-M-S-O-N, S-E-T-H-A-B-R-A-M-S-O-N.net. And of course, Seth Abramson at Twitter is his Twitter handle. So Seth, tell us why this may not actually involve Vladimir Putin, but Trump thinks it does? Well, Tom, first, uh, thank you for having me. One minor correction, actually, proof of corruption is out today. Great. You can get it if you're interested in reading about it. So with respect to the, the tweet thread that I did that you were talking about, 
in 2008, Donald Trump was trying to sell an eight-figure Palm Beach property that he had made improvements to, but he hadn't been able to sell despite these improvements, despite trying to sell it for a long time, and he just wouldn't drop the price because he wanted to more than double his money. This was another example of his obstinance as a businessman and more evidence of his terrible business sense generally. But the upshot in the thread that I did on Twitter is that Donald Trump got rescued in 2008 and got almost 100% of his asking price for this essentially lemon of a property from a Putin ally, Dmitry Rabolovlev. And Trump believed that Rabolovlev was, in fact, a Putin proxy, and that, in fact, he was doing business with Vladimir Putin in 2008. That sale made him $54 million, almost, in fact, more than double what he had put into this property at a time that the economy was tanking, he was facing financial difficulty. And again, he firmly believed that Vladimir Putin had saved him. And so that really- So this was basically a bailout for him. Exactly. It, and it was a bailout, again, a $54 million bailout. But, but just to be clear, it, the story doesn't in any sense end in 2008, because when Donald Trump goes to the Miss Universe pageant in Moscow in 2013, he gives an interview to NBC in which he says, Putin is following my activities. He follows my interviews. He's interested in me. Clearly, this is a carryover from less than 60 months earlier, this deal that he believed he had completed with Putin through Rabolovlev. And at the time that he was in Moscow in 2013, Tom, Putin's chief Kremlin builder, Aras Agalarov, was offering him the richest deal of his life, even better than the 2008 deal. So, of course, Donald Trump thought that Putin was not only interested in his activities, but interested in rescuing him from financial despair, and even more than that, making him into the billionaire that he's always claimed to be. So why would a billionaire oligarch basically hand Donald Trump a $54 million check during a major recession when Trump was out of cash and freaking out and maybe looking at another bankruptcy in 2008? Why would a Russian oligarch do that if it wasn't at the direction of President Putin? Well, that's exactly right, Tom. And that's what we actually learned from both the Mueller report and the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence report is that Vladimir Putin has that degree of control over his top oligarchs. He can direct them to spend their wealth in a particular way to help the state. Remember Oleg Deripaska, another oligarch connected to Trump world through Paul Manafort, famously said, I don't distinguish myself from the state. And that's the sort of state of affairs, no pun intended, that Vladimir Putin enforces. But one reason which, Vladimir which, Putin would Seth, do that... I'm sorry, finish your thought, and then afterwards tell me... I'm sorry, there's a slight delay here when I'm doing the show remotely like this. And also, let me know, who was the oligarch who is bailing out Mitch McConnell right now? <laughs> so there has been, obviously, a lot of conversation about Oleg Deripaska's interests in investing in Kentucky, and that's its own sort of separate story. But just to finish the thought that I was mentioning before, is that one of the reasons that Vladimir Putin would do this and that his oligarchs would understand how important it was to the state and the interests of the state in Russia is that when Donald Trump went to Moscow in 2013, according to multiple witnesses, he was talking politics the whole time. Specifically, he was saying to people, Putin doesn't respect Obama. Putin respects me. And he felt that the hmm. Moscow uh, Miss Universe pageant was a sign of Vladimir Putin's respect, as was, of course, he would have believed this deal that he thought he had done with Vladimir Putin in 2008. So this is when he was formulating his Russia policy in 2013. And he thought, Putin saved me in the past. He's about to pay me again with this Agalarov deal. And if I have the right policy, I'll get paid in the future down the line. And that is the, the key to the mystery of Trump-Russia collusion. That's why I did a thread about it. Wow. Wow. So I'm wondering if you can weigh in on this theory that has been put forward by uh, Umer Haik over at Medium.com that Trump's real goal is to steal the entire country. If he can get himself reelected, he can basically do what, what Putin and what Erdogan and what, I mean, you know, name your strongman, put your cronies in charge of everything and then have a piece of the entire economy be kicked back into your pockets. What do you think? He's trying to steal the country, basically. 
Well, that's no question. That's that's been the transactional model of his entire life as an adult and as a, a businessman. And that's, in fact, how he's approached politics. He told Michael Cohen famously that his political re- career was an infomercial for his brand. He has catered to autocrats around the world who act in exactly this way in their own countries, including in Saudi Arabia, in the United Arab Emirates, in Turkey, in Ukraine, in Russia. So clearly, frankly, even in, in China, with his open collusion with China over alleged Joe Biden dirt back in 2019, and the way he's dealt with Kim Jong-un in North Korea. This is his model. This is what he does. And I don't know why anyone would expect a man in his 70s to suddenly change his stripes and love this country more than himself and more than money now that he's in his 70s. It doesn't make sense. And that's not what we've seen from him for the last four years. The three competing theories are, number one, he's trying to stay out of jail. Number two, he's trying to make a little money and he's trying to, you know, he's, he's profiting off the presidency, basically. But number three, he's trying to steal the whole damn country. Which of those three do you think is the most likely actual key to who Trump is and why he's behaving the way he is? I think there's some truth to all of it. He appears to be a malignant narcissist, so he wants power. He wants autocratic control over the country. Therefore, he wants to steal in that sense. He's venal. He wants money. That's his primary motivating factor his entire life. So, yes, he's going to use the presidency to, I would say, make more than a little bit of money. I think that when you tally up everything he's made since he's been in office, he's actually done pretty well, especially considering that he's not as rich as he claims to be. So I think all three are true. Yeah. Remarkable. Seth Abramson and his new book, Proof of Corruption, Bribery, Impeachment, and Pandemic in the Age of Trump. It is available now, and uh, SethAbramson.net is Seth's website. And, of course, his Twitter handle, Seth Abramson, A-B-R-A-M-S-O-N. Thanks a lot, Seth, for dropping by today. Thanks for having me, Tom. My pleasure. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. What do you think Trump's game is here? Hi, Tom Hartman here. In my new book, The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream, I'll be taking you from the birth of America as a revolt against monopoly, remember the Boston Tea Party, to the largely successful efforts of both Presidents Theodore and Franklin Roosevelt and other like-minded leaders to constrain corporations' monopolistic urges, to the massive changes in the rules of business starting during the Reagan Revolution that have brought us into the cancer stage of capitalism. In the foreword by Ralph Nader, he says, this is the most important dynamic book on the cancers of monopoly by giant corporations written in our generation, end quote. It's the fourth in my hidden history series. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy starts with you. Tag, you're it. VK in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey, VK, what's up? Hi, Tom. If you remember, in the Supreme Court decision Trump v. Vance this July, Chief Justice John Roberts and the four liberals said that Trump had absolutely no immunity to be sued in his personal capacity for tax fraud or whatever. My question is, when Trump challenges the results of the election in the 2020 election, do you think Roberts will allow Trump to lose or will he side for Trump? That's a good question, VK, and I don't have the answer to it. But I do think that if this election is even within three or four points, you know, if it's that if it's that close and we shouldn't even be calling that close. I mean, you know, the election in 2000, Al Gore won by a half million votes and it took the Supreme Court to give that election to George W. Bush. I think that your point is very real and it's entirely possible. So we'll see. Vic in Tustin, Michigan. Hey, Vic, what's up? Hi, Tom. President Trump about the way he's mm-hmm. walking, may have mm-hmm. had a stroke. Mm-hmm. Could it be that, that he just has bone spurs in the bottom of his feet? No, if you watch the way that he's walking, Vic, people with, people with bone spurs tend to walk as if their feet hurt, because they do. Trump was swinging his leg out and around in order to move his foot from behind to forward. He was basically maneuvering his foot with his leg above the knee, above the knee part of his leg, as if the below the knee part of his leg was not working properly. Michelle in Denver, hey, what's up? I would say, why stay in this country if we're going to be total authoritarian and black people and brown people aren't going to get major protections? Well, first off, Michelle, your American passport will not get you into any country in the world right now. 
pretty much. Right, right now. But if Trump wins, I'm German. I have relatives. So I would find my way over there because we're not being protected. We're 14% of the population. Maybe the National Guard needs to be called in to start escorting us to work and everywhere else like they did back in the 60s because, unfortunately, these guys are not going to stop. The genie's out of the box, and you're not going to even be able to put it back in. So these people are nuts. Have you ever been around them? I've been around them. Yes. I've seen them. Yeah. They spit in people's faces. They push people to incite violence. Yeah. Supporters. Well, we. Ha- I don't think that we anybody can justify killing anybody on either side. Frankly, I, it's just it, you know this is not a war, and the people who are calling for a war need to be called out at the very least. Michelle, thank you for your calls. You're listening your to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I think we all get it. We're all on edge. The country is being pushed as hard as possible by right-wing hate mongers. So back in 2016, the election year, Donald Trump was not yet president. He was just running a scam university, Trump University. That year, and Barack Obama was president, that year, Corinthian Colleges and ITT Technical Institute, two scam for-profit colleges, went out of business and ended up leaving thousands, maybe tens of thousands of students just basically screwed. No degree, no job, and massive amounts of student debt. So President Obama and the Secretary of Education put together this plan. It's called the Borrower Defense Rule. that said that if somebody got ripped off by one of these for-profit colleges, they didn't have to pay back the debt. If it was student debt that was issued by the federal government, we would just eat it as a country. They were the victims of fraud. Well, it turns out Betsy DeVos had other ideas. She came into office, of course, just months afterwards, as Donald Trump was sworn into office, and she's been fighting it all the way. You can check the whole thing out over at TomHartman.com and our new videos of our program. is the Tom Hartman Program. William in Sunrise Beach, Missouri. Hey, William, what's up? Uh, just It's like fascism is like people. We're all similar, but we're all unique. So our version will be different than any other version that's come along, although there may be similarities. That's how I just I agree. It. Okay. I agree. Thanks, Tom. Okay. Great. As always. Thanks a lot, William. I think you're you know, spot okay. on. Yeah, you're welcome. Good talking to you. You know, this is true, but there are some basic tenets of fascism, use race or differences to divide people. When they're divided, anger one of those groups and encourage and incite violence and merge every element of government you possibly can with privately owned business so that that privately owned business can shovel money to you. This is, this is what Hitler did, it's what Mussolini did, it's what Franco did, it's what, pick your dictator, right? It's what Erdogan's doing in Turkey, it's what is being done in Hungary, it's what's being done in Russia, it's what Modi is in the process of doing in India right now. That's fascism, and, and that's what Donald Trump has been doing for four years here. He just hasn't been as effective as he could have been, although he's done immense damage already to our country. Joyce in Garland, Texas. Hey, Joyce, thanks for putting up with my rant. What's up? Why are we putting up with this man? This man who called every military person a loser, a sucker, and he didn't do anything. I have uncles, my whole family was in the military, and half of them died for our freedom. Is this going to be another Russian deal like he wants to play Putin? I think he stepped in it here, Joyce. I think he's stepped in it. I think that this is a guy, you know, his father sent him off to, they call it a military academy, but it had no affiliation with the military. It was just a private school where everybody wore a, a uniform that looked like a military uniform and they hired a bunch of ex-military people. So they were pretend military. But nonetheless, you know, the discipline was pretty rough there and Donald hated it. 
They sent him off. You know, his parents, his mom wanted to spend every summer in Scotland so that she could be a rich socialite. And she hated his father. And his father hated him. He didn't want him around. He was this, you know, obnoxious, ADD bully, you know, ass, basically, kid. And so he sent him off to this so-called military academy. And I think out of that, Donald just you know, grew to hate anything having to do with uniforms. And it's why, you know, he threatened his first wife, Ivana, that, uh, you know, if and, and Don Jr., that if Don Jr., there was actually a point where Don Jr. was thinking of joining the military. And Donald Trump said, if you do that, I'm going to cut you off from the inheritance. I'll disown you. He wrote into his prenup with Marla Maples that if the child that they had together to, uh, ever joined the military, all the money would be cut off. I mean, this I think it goes back to his experience in, in the so-called military-styled academy. But he has never hidden it. It's just that it, there's never been a, a spotlight shined on it. And now that The Atlantic has done this article and other newspapers have picked it up, I think veterans all across America are going, what the hell? And, uh, and rightly so. Joyce, I'm, I'm with you. This is an outrage. My father was not a sucker when he joined the U.S. Army to go fight fascists in 1944. He was not a sucker, and neither were any of his colleagues. The suckers are the people who are still walking around with Trump signs. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. And, and once again, let me, let me say, however you're getting this show, please take a moment to support that vehicle. Let them know that you're listening. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 